0: Welcome to Black Writer Therapy, a podcast where Black women writers are invited to sit on the proverbial couch, have a cup of tea, and share the stories behind the stories and what it really takes to write books about Black women in an industry that still prefers white as the default. I'm your host. Published author and unlicensed therapist, Alishan. Black writer therapy is now in session. Elle Penelope has been writing since
1: she could hold a pen and loves getting lost in the worlds in her head. She is an award winning author of fantasy and paranormal romance. Equally left and right brained, she studied filmmaking and computer science in college and sometimes dreams in HTML. She hosts the My Imaginary Friends podcast and resides in Maryland with her husband and furry dependents. And now here's your host,
0: Ella Sean. Welcome to Black Rider Therapy and the Virtual Couch. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. So, I'm always fascinated you're one of these people who are both analytical and creative Mm -hmm. and so how has that marriage worked for you in your choices of um like how how it manifests in your career and your Mm -hmm. writing and all the things
1: yeah I found out quickly that you know that was the case i always loved writing i've been writing forever like my mother was a teacher she taught me to read at a very very young age and i always had an interest in science also so when i was young i i really wanted to be a chemist that was my life goal because i didn't ever think that you could make a living as a writer it didn't make sense to me right. you know like that i want to eat you know <laughs> <Exactly>. but um <laughs> Yeah. And then I started taking like high school chemistry and physics and I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. Like I figured if I was going to be a professional chemist, I should get an A in high school chemistry and I got a B. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I need a different life path. <laughs> yeah, this the is how B? my was, Right. Yeah. The B is like, this is not for you. Um, but I still was interested in computer science, and I started doing like basic programming. And we got when, I, when we got our first computer, I was the only one in the home, at, at, you know, in middle school who knew how to you know do anything with it. And I was always the one fixing the computers. So when I came to college, I was torn between majoring in computer science or in something more creative. And I ended up majoring in radio, TV, and film at Howard University, but I did minor in computer science. And so that was kind of a rare thing to do. But, it, you know, I I found that I was really happy doing both. You know, I mm-hmm. kind of needed to, to do both. I needed to write. It was really important to me. And I was mostly writing for myself. I did, you know, submit some poems to publications and it was literary magazines in high school and college and things like that. But I still didn't believe that I could be, a, you know, a writer, like a novelist mm-hmm. as a job. And so I got my, you know, I went into into the field and I got a master's in multimedia. And when I, you know, looked at getting a master's degree, it was like, okay, what's going to combine all my interests. And right. I had this website, you know, so I started making websites and I you know, majored in film. And also there's this computer science programming aspect. And, um, you know, there was a business aspect. There was a graphic design aspect to that. So I think my life has always been about kind of melding these interests, mm-hmm. in interests and trying to just live holistically like that because, I exist in a space where I kind of do need to do both. I'm not happy if I'm only doing one or the other. Right. That's really interesting. I think you're like
0: most artists. And I don't think people recognize that, that artists are so kind of analytical. And mm-hmm. I mean, but then it would make complete and total sense that an artist of any modality would be
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of right brain oriented as well as left brain oriented i just don't know that many who follow the right brain
1: <laughs> right so and then sometimes much. we we're told that oh you have to be one of the other. so you kind of push back you push down right. certain parts of yourself but you know when you're evaluating your own art whatever it is you have to bring an analytic mind to it you have to say is mm-hmm. this what i was trying to do is this what you know the audience is going to like how is the audience going to react to this you know if you care about that and a lot of artists do you know you want you want to express yourself, but you also want people to take something away from it and to be moved right. or whatever. So that requires an analytic, you know, nature at least as it comes to your own work.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree, and I. But again, most artists don't think about it like that; they're just doing the art thing, you know. Um, so you are an alumna of Bona, which is Voices and Hurston Wright Writers Workshop. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us about that experience for
1: you. Why you chose it, and what you got out of it. So when I um, I originally got married and moved away to a, a new town to Norfolk, Virginia, and um, I got involved in a writer center there called the Muse Writer Center, and that was, those are really my first writing workshops, like post high school and college and I was working on short stories and I just really liked the workshop experience. It forced me to write, you know, giving pages Mm -hmm. to people every few weeks. And it was through being involved in an ongoing writing workshop for a couple of years that I found out about these other places you could go and work on your writing with, you know, professional writers and well-known authors. And so I learned about Vona Voices, which is Voices of Our Nation's Arts. And it was at the time, it was at uh, UC Berkeley. And it was a week in June, I think, um, where you could study. And I, I applied to study with Juno Diaz, the Pulitzer Prize winner. And I got in mm-hmm. and I got to study with him. And it was amazing. And um, it just kind of really changed my life. And that, that is specifically a workshop for writers of color. And Hurston Wright is for Black writers, and it's on the campus of Howard University. And so I studied with Dolan Perkin Valdez the first time. I went back and studied with David Anthony Durham, who is a fantasy author. And so I actually went to both of them twice. And it's just it was just the time to take away. Usually during the summer, you can take a week off of work and focus on your writing. Be in a in a workshop with other writers who are you know sensibly you know doing the similar things learning from people who are in the field and then usually they have some other you know programming to help you learn about the publishing industry for example right. and other aspects of it so i found my time at those workshops to be super helpful really inspiring really challenging in a way because i had been in workshops but they were primarily white people and mm-hmm. you know me writing black characters having those experiences of people not understanding what I was doing, or I didn't have any terrible experiences, but I had some not so great ones where I was like, okay, yes. y'all are not just, you're not, you're not feeling me. And I don't want to let that energy, you know, change what I'm trying to do. Cause I feel confident in what I'm trying to do. So let me try to find some people who can relate more, you know?
0: Right. And
1: yeah, the, both of them, I, I highly recommend uh, both of them. And they were just really, really, really important in my journey towards actually believing I could do this thing called like publish a book and see it on the shelves
0: (laughs) right and be a writer as a job
1: (laughs) exactly yes
0: very that's really neat yeah I honestly I've not heard of any of these things so I was really like keen when when I saw them um and I just want to ask you one one other question um from your bio because well two I'm an animal lover and you uh-huh. have furry dependents. Yes. And I want to know what kind of
1: furry dependents you have. So I have two dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, one is, a, they're both pit bulls essentially. One is an American bully and one is an Amstaff. And I have two okay. cats. Uh, so yeah, four, it's it's a pretty full house here. Yeah, yeah. It sounds similar to mine.
0: I said, I'm one dog short of you. Okay. So yeah, two cats and one dog. So yeah, very good imaginary friends I love your podcast thank you I love your podcast um I think I I noted that hey I reached out to you like forever ago (laughs) it was like a long time ago and you were just getting started with your podcast Mm -hmm. um so how's that been going for you
1: I, I do love podcasting. It's been four years. I think Um, I've had to take a break because I was traveling, but the next mm-hmm. episode I do would be episode 220 and it's a solo podcast. So it's just me talking mm-hmm. because I just realized I couldn't organize guests. When I was starting it, <laughs> it was just daunting. I, I applaud all of you who do. <laughs> I, and sometimes I wish like I liked talking to people and I would like to, I have an idea for another podcast that would be guest centered, but you know, time is finite. Um, yes. <laughs> But I do I, I like sharing the journey. And then I hear from listeners and from people who enjoy listening to it because I'm literally talking to imaginary people. I'm talking to myself here and just giving an overview of you know the past week in in my my author life, the struggles, the wins, you know, all the ups and downs. I try to be mm-hmm. as honest as possible, you know, share as much as I can because there's there's not there's some transparency, but there's not enough transparency. And I meet lots of, you know, aspiring writers who just mm-hmm. have no idea what the industry is like, whether it's self-publishing or traditional publishing. And they're both so hard, you know, and there's so yes. much involved in both of them. So just sharing my experience is some, is a way to kind of give it back and also just have, have me clarify my thoughts, a little bit of accountability, you know, mm-hmm. and and just, yeah, keep myself grounded a little bit, yeah, I
0: love that. Um.
1: I think I call that like metacognition is
0: what
2: Mm -hmm.
0: it reminds me of, right? When you're processing your thoughts and thinking about why and how you're thinking. And I remember uh, my first podcast, um, I was solo and it was the greatest thing. I think I did it for four years. And because again, we, we started around the same time. We had the solo podcast and I was working out not only like my, my growth, as a mm-hmm. writer, but as a as a woman, I was, everything was changing in my life at that time, right? And I think, um, and I was working at what was happening in the series that mm-hmm. I was writing. Mm-hmm. And it just helped so much to be able to talk all the things through. Yeah. And then I could go back and plug in what I needed. I worked my stuff out, I worked my character stuff out. So yes, I get the solo podcast, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And you're right, this organizing yeah. of guests is daunting, but it's been ridiculously rewarding mm-hmm. and and I think for me i'm I'm at this place where I just want to shake stuff up
2: mm-hmm. and i
0: want I want to um I want to hear the truth yeah. right I want to hear the truth from writers who look like me, mm-hmm. who are doing what I aspire to do, what I have done, all the things. Um, It's kind of like, I need to go workshop this piece of writing with people who are going to get it and can relate to it. Um, And then the other half of this is, I I do want those folk who are yelling, allyship, I'm an ally. I want them in on these conversations Mm -hmm. so that they can hear the truth of Black women writers Mm -hmm. and not all the fallacies and mixed up nonsense that's Mm -hmm. floating around out there. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Before we go any further, I have to ask you uh, my, my question that I ask every writer,
1: how are you feeling today? Mm. I have been trying to meditate twice a day for the past few months. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but it has been really helpful. Like I've, I've, tried to meditate on and off for many years. And, you know, some at different times in my life, it would stick and then it would fall away. And so now I'm just really trying to um, grow my intuition and listen to it more. And so I feel like meditation is helping that and it's helping me heal, you know, pandemic, the past few years have been difficult for everyone. And there's been all kinds of, you know, personal and family issues that I've gone through too recently. So, yeah, that's the way I'm currently really focusing on trying to like 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening is my goal. And I don't hit it every day, but I'm I'm really committed to working on that. And it's when I do, I just feel the difference. And I feel like, you know, th- that quietness um, centered, focused on breath, you know, just a simple meditation, nothing uh, too fancy, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's how I'm working on healing. I love that. And that's an
0: ambitious goal. And I don't think people understand. Like people, 20 minutes of just sitting, anybody can do that. No. It's, uh, it's not easy. It is so hard because you want to. I know like if I'm meditating, I want to push all the thoughts away. Mm-hmm. But but you're not, right? You you just have to let them come and go, come and go until your mind gets quiet. And I'm just like impatient. I want the quiet. And so right. that's like the hardest part for me. So kudos, and I, I send you Karuna uh, so a little compassion and mercy um, as you are on your meditation journey. And that's a beautiful way to, to start the healing. Um, all right. So we're ready to get into the first segment of the show, which is uh, called Intentional Writing. And I, I chose that title for the segment because of the medical definition of the word intention, which is the healing process of a wound. And since I learned that, I don't know the other definition of intentions anymore. So it's all about healing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why I asked all the writers, what is your most cathartic book and why? So could you share that a little bit of, of why you chose the book and what book you chose?
1: So, yeah, I chose Requiem of Silence, which is book four of the Earth Singer Chronicles, which is my epic fantasy series. It's the final book. Um, there's four novels and three novellas. So if you look at the whole series, it's the the last of seven. and this this entire series is about these two people. They are different races. One people have magic, one don't, who have been at war for hundreds of years in this alternate world. And, you know, the question is, will this war continue or will this war end? Will they be able to live peaceably together or not? And, you know, each each novel kind of focuses on different characters. It's also a fantasy romance. And there are sort of star-crossed lovers in, in different ser- in different books. But, you know, facing this idea of, okay, I'm ending the series after, you know, I, I had been writing the series for six or seven years. You know, like I, I self-published originally. I started I started writing the first book in 2013, actually right after that workshop with Juno Diaz. I came home and literally a few days later, I started writing and I just couldn't stop. And uh, so yeah, a huge number like big a big amount of time was spent on the series looking towards the end, but not knowing how I was going to end it. And I have had this, you know, racial strife, I have this huge conflict. And I can't solve racism in my book necessarily, but I have to solve the story. Right. <laughs> and I really struggled with that. And I was writing it at, you know, right around the time that Game of Thrones had ended poorly in my my opinion. You know, this, the original series, there was a lot of controversy about the ending of that. I think... Um, Infinity War, so that Avengers was ending. There were these big series and big franchises ending in ways that people were either happy or not happy about. And I was thinking, how can I end this so that the readers have, who have been with me through this journey, who have read all of these books, been with these characters for such a long time, and you know, really taken it to heart, that in a way that will be satisfying for them and that will make make sense for the story. And even though you know I'm a plotter, and I, but I didn't. I I knew kind of where I wanted things to go. I had the Mm -hmm. idea of the end, but none of the details mapped out. And so I was really just doing a lot of soul searching for what am I trying to say with this? Like how Mm -hmm. how this conflict ends. You know, there are a lot of real world parallels in the whole series to our life. Like in the first book, Song of Blood and Stone, is essentially a police shooting, you know, of a young brown-skinned boy and so there's these parallels to our life yes. that happen in this fantasy world that was really important to me to have in there. So I've set it up to be you know this parallel and yeah how did I want to end it it's so searching to figure out what i believed what do i believe could be a possible real life solution to our real life conflicts, you know, if I was in charge, how would I do things if I was the emperor, empress, you know, like, all that stuff, because we're the deities of our own worlds when we're writing, and we get to do what we want. So that's why it was cathartic to me, because it allowed me to confront my ideas about, um, I guess, about racism and community and how people can come together, what keeps us apart—that's what I was doing throughout the whole series. And mm-hmm. yeah, just trying to figure out a way to bring it home, to bring the, the story to a satisfying conclusion that me, that acknowledges, you know, that these are such complicated, difficult, entrenched human problems. Um, and so I brought a lot of spirituality to that. I brought, you know, and that's present in the book as well. And yeah, just just sort of my ideas about how I want things to be or how I think they could be. I
0: love that. Um, gosh, I don't know that that we recognize at the time, or maybe you're a very conscientious writer and you know exactly what it is you're putting into your books that, that will reach and connect with your audience on not so much the emotional, because we, we all do the emotional appeal and, and all of that, but the the kind of spiritual level that i find so prevalent in in black women's writings it's almost like a little thin layer that's kind of floating on the top of everything mm-hmm. um innocuous and and unassuming but always present and so is that something that Because in the fourth book, you said, yes, I consciously threw in this spirituality. But do you
1: find that you write in that vein throughout all of your works or no? I do. I think so. And, and, you know, you never know how people are going to take what you're putting in there. But I do believe, and I've talked about on my podcast, like the idea of bleeding on the page. Like, I think that I'm writing to get something across. I'm writing to share a part of myself. And that involves putting you know some blood in there. You know you're going to you're going to put something that is meaningful to you and sort of look at it through a different lens and through the story and the characters and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I I wonder if that's why like especially with black women's writing and even you know the the greats, you know, you're Toni Morrison and um Alice Walker's and Gloria Naylor is a huge influence of mine. You see that. And whether it's I don't know that it's conscious. I think that it's just when you're working things out on the page and you're you're bringing your observations and your filter to it that comes through cuz so much of our life i think hinges on spirituality mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i there's a religious aspect of this series where i'm dealing with what are gods and goddesses? Who do we worship? And what happens when you discover, you know, there's God's awakening throughout the series and coming to life. And you're confronted with this deity that you had worshipped, you know, from a distance and now they're up close. And what does that mean? So those kinds yeah. of things I'm I'm really, I consider a lot and think about and put in my books as well as sort of, okay, when, when spirituality is more internal, you know, because I've gone through a whole spiritual journey in my life of, of religion and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, since that's top of mind, and trying to work some of that out on the page as well through the characters. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um,
0: yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I think again, you're just kind of proving why I I choose the writers I choose because I vibe with that. <laughs> I, I it was brought to my attention uh, that all the writers. I'm the commonality, and so obviously there's something that uh, I was like. I didn't think about that. I was just like, Mm -hmm. I like the way they write. I like the way the their book covers look, as I don't read book (laughs) blurbs. (laughs) So now we are going to eventually talk about the series as a whole. But I, I was like a little, you know, nitwit. I started reading the book you said was the most cathartic, and I was like. Honey chow, honey boo boo chow, you don't know what next is going on. What are you doing? You can't <laughs> just jump. So right? because I am a transparent girl, I I couldn't read the book because I have to go back, right? But, when I yeah. tell you my PBR list is ridiculous from oh, this yeah. season alone, and I'm like. I don't even know when I'm going to get to everything. I know. Because so all hard. the books are ridiculously good, right? Mm, yeah. But I love fantasy. I can't write it. Nothing in me will be that, that like, oh, let's dream of a whole new situation and put <laughs> it together, a whole new world and make it work. Like, right. But I'm going to get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself because the world building is ridiculous. Thank you. And I anyway, so, but I picked some parts that I like structural, things that kind of stood out to me when I gleaned your book. Okay, I'm using all my former English teacher <laughs> terminology here. <laughs> glean, glean the book, tell me what you get from it, students. So the first couple of lines um of the prologue, they establish the sense for me, and I think for for the old man, of expectation, of yearning. And then the last four lines of the prologue, it's like uh, they leave the old man and me with a foreboding kind of disquiet.
2: Mm -hmm. And the
0: juxtaposition in, those, in that short piece, just, just the prologue, the juxtaposition of the very first and then the very last, it feels like a warning mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know, I have absolutely no frame of reference for <laughs> anything. This is just Ella's mind doing what Ella's mind does. Right, yeah. so I copied I copied the uh the first the lines that I'm talking about,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but you just grabbed your book, I did, yeah,
1: because, like, if I can get you to read them, that... yeah, I can read the I'll read the prologue. that probably is a good idea,
2: yes.
1: so yeah, it, I mean, it kind of does you know, standalone. it's you don't. You don't hear from this character again, if I can remember this book. But um, yeah, it, but it, it does connect to everything. So yeah, I'll read the, the prologue for Requiem of Silence. In the end, there will be silence. Nothing but the warm embrace of the flame and then peace. The old man knows this and has waited for longer than he ever thought possible. He will wait a bit longer. For while he is old now, he was also old centuries ago. He suspects he will be old for centuries more before he can finally meet the flame and be done with it all. But even death cannot come before duty, not for one of his line. The prophecy that came to him generations ago has never left the forefront of his mind. It seeped in and spread like a dye, staining everything that it touched. The one who walks in darkness will embrace the light. He stands at the mouth of a cave of his beloved mountain mother, staring at the world outside that has claimed so many of his kind. The rays of the sun peppered, pepper-fevered kisses on his face. A harsh kind of love. He cannot become used to it. Outside is not for him. Soon a visitor will arrive, one he has been expecting for a long time. He thinks perhaps this visitor is the key to the prophecy. Darkness and light rolled into one. He waits, and when the visitor arrives, The young man is haggard, but bears it well. His eyes are alight with charm and mischief. The prophet has a moment of misgiving. However, this does not stop him from leading the visitor up a barely used trail, to a cave on the outskirts of the city where they won't be disturbed. There, he makes the greatest mistake of his life. There, he teaches the visitor something that no outsider should know, even one with familiar skin. Perhaps it was the prophecy that duped him, or the fact that the visitor is only a generation removed from those who left the caves to live outside. Had the seeker's foreparent not left, he would have already known this secret. Could have known it, at least. No matter now, the deed is done. The knowledge passed from prophet to man. As the visitor's head bobs away down the narrow path, the prophet has another shudder of misgiving but surely the mother would not have allowed him to do something that would harm his people. All he ever wanted to do was save them. He watches the visitors retreat and hopes that teaching him the cave folk secrets was the right decision. He will ask the mother about it soon. Very nice. I could just
0: listen to you read. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's relaxing. (laughs) That's what people say about the podcast too. Yes, you have that really kind of I'm going to calm you down because I'm calm, boys. It's great. Thank you. Really great. So is was that the intent, that juxtaposition? Did you like say, hey, I'm, I'm going to make people feel real confused about what they're going into. And I want them to be a little bit leery and and paying close attention. I want to warn them about some things.
1: Yeah. So this prologue is... Um... It answers some questions that you might not understand what's happening here, but by the end of the book, you'll know who these characters are. And, and depending, you might you might recognize the characters if you read everything closely. But um, it's like the beginning of the end. It's like you know an inciting incident This actually happened hundreds of years ago. This this scene, but it impacts. It's like kind of the reason for the whole story, uh, the whole series. And so, yeah, I wanted you to. I wanted the reader to start understanding or put the seeds of these questions and like, okay, who is this? What are they talking about? Is this what I think it is? Or maybe, you know, maybe you don't know. And then be left with, Oh, kind of a sense of of dread, like foreboding, like, okay, this was actually the wrong decision. This sets off all of these events. Um, So some, it's conscious that, you know, I want to tell the story. I needed to give the reader the information about the origins of this particular event, in a way that was a little bit oblique. And because there's other prologues in the other books, it kind of matches it. The, the first line of the first book, I believe is, in the beginning, there was silence. So I wanted the, the first line of the fourth book to be in the beginning, in the end, there will be silence. You know, like that that mirroring. mirroring. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's kind of the emotion I know, you know, that kind of emotional, because the character, it's the emotions of the character too, that, that were like hope and then, uh-oh, did I just do something wrong? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very good. So the other thing that I want to kind of stick to with Requiem and then move into the, the body of work overall, mm-hmm. the quotes at the beginning of each chapter.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Where did you get the quotes? I'm st- Because I am a stickler for some good, like, ooh, I love this. Where did you get these quotes?
1: All the novels start with epigraphs for each chapter from an in-world book. So I have to write the in-world book, or at least the parts of it that you see at the beginning of each chapter. And every, yeah, all four books um, and all the novellas, I think, most of the novellas have, and and it's a process at the end. so After I've written the book and I know what the chapters are going to be, because I I, I change my chapters as I'm going, but I feel confident about the number of chapters, what's in each chapter... Then I kind of go and review and like, okay, what's the in-world book? This for Requiem of Silence, it's a book that is written in the future by one of the characters. And by the end of the book, you'll realize, okay, this is the path that she is on. She is going to be kind of to be the originator of a new religion. And so The Harmony of Being, which is the the in-world book of Requiem of Silence. It, it also kind of is a mirror to Song of Blood and Stone, the first book in the series, where the chapter epigraphs come from a book called Collected Folktales*, Tales. And they are... You know, folktales featuring animal characters that a lot of people really like those too. And at the beginning, it's like, okay, these are folktales. It's supposed to tell you more about the culture, but they're also telling you how the culture is broken in some way or mm-hmm. or this history has been changed and lost. And they're supposed to be a little off. Whereas in Room of Silence, the this in world book is sort of the future and the hope. So I'm hoping that it's more inspiring. It's more a feeling of, you know, at least this character who wrote this has found some kind of truth and wants to share it with the world. And we're giving more good advice. Whereas the first book is maybe not so good advice. Look, you are brilliant.
0: I have I'm serious. I'm just sitting here. My I'm if I, you know, could put an emoji on this, <laughs> it would be the one. With the brain, expl- <laughs> what the world? I because I'm gonna tell you what I did. First thing I did when I noticed all the person going through, oh my god, these are beautiful! I love this. Oh my god! So I Google the Book of Harmony. Oh, wow, because I'm like, I want, I want to what read. got this from? I want to read this freaking book. Oh, that's amazing! Some book comes up by some dude in 1977 (laughs) (laughs) but that doesn't sound right (laughs) oh you are ridiculous Uh and this is why I can't write fantasy this right here you don't only build the world you have to build everything their religion their Mm -hmm. their cultures their all of it and it's like well let me just you know write end of the world books while I'm writing a book (laughs)
1: I mean, everybody's What's doing world building, but yeah, fantasy. But I love it. I love digging deep into it and getting complex. You know, this is a, a big series. Um, it's fun to me. It was challenging. All the epigraphs were really challenging to write a whole nother. Like, after I wrote the book, I have to write a whole nother book. It's just pieces that have to make sense in small pieces. I think my favorite um, book two in the series, Whispers of Shadow and Flame, the epigraphs or is it book three? I oh, know I can't remember one. <laughs> I think it's one of the books. I wrote this epic poem, like I think of the Battle of Gilgamesh. That was my goal. So each piece of it is like, it's a whole story being told in the epigraphs about a character that you're going to meet in this book. And I don't know if people get it, but like, I do put a lot of work into the chapter epigraphs for all of the, for all of the novels. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and the, I promise
0: you, I promise you, Leslie, I was like, where is she gatekeeping keeping this book? (laughs) I've hidden it.
2: And you wrote those.
0: Yeah. That your mind worked. I'm telling you, I am not easily impressed. I'm serious. I am not easily impressed. And that's just because I'm me. And I think people are constantly saying, you are amazing and giving those out when, <laughs> Medio- you know, th- people right. are mediocre. So I don't I am completely impressed. Thank like, you. Like I'm ready to just sit here and listen to you talk about how you how you wrote this series, how you create a world this in depth, and still somehow maintain a steadfast hold here in this world. In this world. I you know what lost. I'm saying? Yeah. Because yep. I would definitely, that's one of my fears. I'm like, if I ever if I ever got that deep into a world that I'm creating, i like like I would just get stuck. I, that's my fear, right? Dementophobia. Yeah. I'm scared that I would become I insane scared. and just stay in my world because yeah. it's mine. I can keep it.
1: Leaving, leaving it was tough. Like finishing the series and being like, okay, this is this is probably it. I don't know that I'll come back. I mean, maybe, but I don't know that I'll come back to this. Well, that I spent almost a decade in. You know, when it was all said and done. Um, but yeah, it's. I do love it. I do, I teach a class on world building because I I do love talking about it and diving deep. I, I'm I've been happy like in the past couple of years, writing books that take place in our world, or I have another series that's dystopian, but it's dystopian based on our world. But I am looking forward to my next epic fantasy where I can dive deep and dig and make a whole nother brand new place that I can live in for a while.
0: That's scary.
2: I'm serious. It
0: scares me on a psychological level mm-hmm. to to do that. I mean...
1: I think it helps that um, it it helps that it's not a utopia you know not i'm not creating places that are amazing to live in so getting lost you know it's like these are hard hard places and you know you're trying to build something that people are not i don't believe in like books full of their only pain like sort of you know black pain that we've seen a lot of entertainment properties that I think are focused on on black pain and even books that are just mired in that and you have to have conflict for a story but I really want joy ultimately you know I want mm-hmm. sometimes bittersweet but ultimately joy but yeah these worlds are difficult and they're hard and so yeah getting lost in them I've never thought about that it's you do you're immersed in it but it's not necessarily a place where I would want to live you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think that would help but then i think the mind wouldn't even accept a utopian place so you wouldn't have to worry about getting stuck in some place that was perfect right oh mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah my mind would be like yeah this is but i'm i'm the god here i'm the creator of all of this mm-hmm. i knew when i ended my series four books and i think i started writing it in 2013 as well um like, that's why I have this podcast. That's another reason I have this podcast. I was, like, so depressed mm. when I finished with the fourth book. And I was just like, is this normal? Right. I I said, this can't be normal. This
1: cannot be a is. normal
2: thing.
0: To just
1: be to be this, like, sound. really? I mean, you spent a long time on it. You know, you th- it's your... You- you're not going to be there anymore. There's a sadness. I wouldn't say I was really depressed, but there was a, a sadness and like a, a catharsis that I had to go through to move on to the next project and to really be like, okay, I have the, oh, can I do their children? Can I do this? You know, like, but like, no, I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm going to move on to other things. Yeah. It, I was depressed. I'm, I'm not going to lie.
0: I was depressed and I was just like, what's next, mm-hmm. you know, and what's going to happen to them? How are they mm-hmm. going to continue? Yeah.
1: will they? Continue? I did think of that. Like, like what all is it? crazy, of- and these are the craziest thoughts because. <laughs> well, we're writers and they, they're real to us, right? These people are real.
0: Even more so than people I know in my life. Mm. These people are real to me. You know more about them than people in your exactly. life. That you know. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I was like, I, I need Black writer therapy. I need somebody <laughs> to help me get over this. And, and so, yeah, that's partially where, where it came from. Um, so has writing been a form of therapy for you before you became a published author?
1: Definitely. Um, you know, I wrote as a child, extremely introverted Very Like I couldn't, uh, back when there was Blockbuster, I was so shy that even the idea of taking a video and going into return it to Blockbuster was terrifying for me. Cause it's like, well, what if I can't find the slot, which is clearly marked. And I had to talk to someone, ask someone where the slot is to, you know, like, Talking to people I didn't know was terrifying. So I stayed home. I wrote, I read. My parents would go to a party, like a family event, you know, with other, I would go and find a bedroom and sit and read. So like I was, you know, antisocial and introverted and writing was really the way that I got my feelings out. I got my opinions out when I didn't want to talk to people I didn't know. And it was really important to me as a child growing up. And I was, also I was in, you know, I went to not just mostly white schools, which too, but I went to all white schools where I was literally the only black person that in the school had ever been in the school. And in one particular case. And so there are just a lot of, and this was uh, second grade, third and fourth grade, there was maybe my brother was the only other black child in the, in the elementary school, wow. So, you know, there were these ice I was these isolating events and because of the places that we lived until we moved to Maryland where it was a little bit better. And um yeah, so reading, writing was my outlet and it's what I always thought it kept me sane.
0: Mm, very yeah. And I think again, same, same experiences, right? And I not, not so much the why, but the what. Mm-hmm you know the what of it um and do you still write to keep you sane or have you found another way to to maintain the sanity and now writing is the passion the love Mm -hmm. all of that
1: I think it it has shifted definitely you know I realized I don't write a lot of poetry anymore like I used to. And that was another way where it was just, it was just pure emotion, you know? Mm -hmm. Now I'm really, especially since publishing um, and even probably since back when I started the workshops, when I'm writing, knowing at least someone else is going to read it, whether it's a critique partner or, you know, I'm going to publish it and it's going to go out to the world, that changes things. So it's it's more, I do it because I love it. It is still a passion and I I love, Mm -hmm. you know, reading and I want to contribute to the world in that way. And I think I've found other healthy ways, you know, the self care and learning about that, knowing about that, um, and doing things for me that help to offload the emotion and, and help me process the emotions that have been difficult yeah. that I used to just journal in poetry and short stories that were kind of crazy. And then now I can direct that in better, healthy. I mean, I wasn't unhealthy, but like I can spread it out more.
0: Yeah. 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 I've, I've uh, poured all of my, I used to journal poetry. Mm-hmm. All the things, and now I just pour it all into crochet because yeah. <laughs> it's something very meditative about just doing the same, you know, your stitches and all the things. But yes, so yeah, I crochet to stay sane and to keep people around me safe. and <laughs> then the writing, right? that's that's my passion and my love. I have several questions, right that i I gave the option and and you chose these questions and you' find answering them um. Writer or black writer.
1: So the question had the word pejorative in it. And I think that's why I wanted to answer because I don't view black writer as pejorative. I, I I'm sure there are some people who do, but I feel I view it as clarifying, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually agnostic on it, but I like I like being black. I like being a black writer. I like having that be known. I I don't necessarily think that. You know, if for the people who view that, you know, let's say non black people specifically, because black people have different reasoning for not liking it. And I respect that reasoning, even though I don't necessarily agree. But if non black people look at that pejoratively or look at that as a way to box you, that's not my business and that's not my problem. I'm mm-hmm. writing black characters. I'm writing about black issues that, you know, I'm reflecting, like I said before, our world and filtering. All my stories are going to be black. So if that adjective is not in front of the name, the word writer, once you look at my books, it's going to be very clear, I think. So that's why I don't have a problem with it. And um, yeah, I, I highlighting that I am Black is giving you some information about what you're going to be getting when you look at my work.
0: I've not heard that perspective.
2: So thank you. Sure. Thank you for that. And And
0: I struggled with that in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I struggled with it. I'm like, because when you say black writer, then you mean I'm over here, mm-hmm. and right. I'm not everywhere Star-writer. like everybody else. Yeah. And then the truth of the matter is, I write black characters, and I write, yes.
1: And so mm-hmm. now you have to, you've given me something to think about. Bad. you know. I, I think it's my response is similar for the the bookshelf debate whether African American fiction should be its own or should be mixed in. You know, I get it. I understand the problems that people have with an African American fiction section being over here. But at the same time, if I'm looking for Black books, I want to be able to look for Black books because I want to be able to read Black books. And it's a very valid criticism to say we shouldn't be segregated. We shouldn't be over here. We are fiction. Everybody else is over here. I get it. But, you know, I find it useful at the same time. So there's these different sides to the coin where it's like, you know, these are the things that we are we're concerned with and that are important to us. And is it a good way to find those things? Um, is it a helpful descriptor? You know, maybe the intent was, who knows what the intent was to segregate us, but in practice, is it is it useful? Is it helpful for people to be like, hey, this is what I want to focus on. I want to read more Black books. I want to be able to find them easily. You know, but I, I totally understand the other point of view. And it, it is it, it does have a lot of validity because, you know, you, you we are writing books and everyone can read them. And if it's if it makes, you know, I think it was a long time before I understood that when you put Black people on a cover, there are non-Black people who feel like, oh, this book isn't for me. That's the way that they feel. Once again, not my business. <laughs> it affects business, but, you know, I'm putting Black people on the cover because I want to see Black people on the cover and I oh, want man. you to know what's in my book. And if you feel that book's not for you, that's a you problem. You know that maybe there are other things we can do to say, "Hey, okay, yes, you can read this too." It's, it's okay; it's not just for us. But there, you know, sometimes you get asked the question about writing for the white gaze, and and dealing with the white gaze, and that's never a consideration for me. You know, like the white gaze is not something I think about. I just think about what story does Leslie want to tell? What does yes. Leslie want to read? What did younger Leslie want to read? Yes. What do my friends want to read? And i write that so
0: yeah long answer no god man that i'm serious you're giving me a lot to think about because i'm i don't know i think i'm probably older than you and and so i'm I'm from this kind of midway point between you know being bused into white schools and and ushering in mtv right and yeah. so that's that's where i am and so i i'm I'm always torn am I a black writer I like having that that moniker because again it is self identifying and tells you about what I'm doing but also it is very um like I don't again I don't know the intentions either but I can always just kind of read the writing on the wall mm-hmm. and let's relegate right it seems very relegating and mm-hmm. othering to Mm -hmm. me on one hand but then to hear you I am like wow I have not thought of that perspective and that is something that I think is important to to hear you know that black writers here and and whoever else may tune in to this it's important to hear there's this other this other side and it's more pragmatic Mm -hmm. and I think that's your Right brain. right brain coming into play, right? Yeah, it's I think more so. pragmatic. This is a helpful thing for me. I This is letting them know what they're getting. And I don't have to do all the work anymore. And okay. this is what it is. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that.
2: Um, and the last
0: kind of, you know, question um, about your your writing and and so forth, what do you hope to achieve with your writing? Overall, like your whole body of work, my Leslie Penelope's 105 and sitting on the porch with a kitty (laughs) and your favorite tea. Do you drink tea? I do. I'm a tea drinker. Oh, yay. Yay. Because I'm so tired of hearing coffee and wine.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) i don't drink okay. either of those.
0: <laughs> me either, me either. So tea, yay. So your favorite tea and your tea, and your hubby and whoever else, and you're sitting there, what will you have achieved with your body of work?
1: I, um, I came up to this realization kind of this week. I have a, a newsletter I write for writers uh, called Footnotes. And I was writing about this work in progress and I got edits back from my editor. And they're very daunting. And I'm like, I don't know, how I'm going to do this. And all these other things are coming into my head. Well, will people like this book as much as they like the last book? And will I be able to pull this off in six weeks? Blah, blah, blah. And the thought came to me, you know, your only job is to write something that's going to bless your readers. And I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I can't control how much it sells. I can't control if people are even going to like it. But I can do my best to write something that I feel like will be a blessing. And what does that mean? It just means I think of the books that have changed me, that have blessed me, that have changed my life, that I think about, that I reread. And so what I'm hoping to do with my writing is really to bless my readers, is really to give them something that's entertaining, but that makes them think that they can hold on to some characters that can live in their heads for a while, give them some solace or peace, um, take them away from their daily struggles, all of that. And all of that kind of constitutes a blessing. It's why we read. It's why I read. And mm-hmm. it's why I, I wanted to write in the first place. So.
2: Beautiful. are yeah, like the dopest. guest. Oh, I mean, for real. I, I like.
0: <laughs> I see why. I see why Uh, Natalie said you are going to love her. You are going to love her. Natalie's yeah, great. <laughs> she is. She is wonderful. Um, okay, it's time to take a break, Mason some reels. We'll be back with El Penelope to discuss the audacity of Black
2: women writers.
0: We're back, <laughs> if you're just tuning in. I've been chatting with award-winning fantasy paranormal writer, podcaster, L Penelope. So, Leslie, if I were a real
2: licensed therapist, <clears throat> what about dealing with the publishing industry would make you
0: seek the respite of my couch?
1: Oh, so much. Oh, goodness. I <laughs> actually do. <laughs> Talk about publishing with my therapist (laughs) because it's it's tough. Um, You know, I'm hybrid, so I do self publishing and traditional publishing, and like I said before, they are both difficult. Um, Traditional publishing because there's so many people involved. You know, I have an agent and a lawyer and an editor, and then all the people at the publishing house, and they're bringing all of their own lives and struggles and personalities into the mix. And I'm trying to, it's their business relationships and they're different kinds of relationships. And sometimes they're difficult and you know, sometimes they're easier than others. So managing relationships in terms of publishing on that side of it is difficult. And also managing um the lack of control with, with traditional publishing. You know, I'm currently in, in a place where We're going back and forth on the title of my next book. You know, I wrote it with a title that I adored and my editor did not adore it. And so Mm -hmm. I I understood her points. I get what she was saying. So now it's like lists of dozens and dozens of titles. And like, I don't know, I told you the one I liked. So, you know, know, things that, and and this is the first time I've actually had very good luck with all of my titles. Every book before before now that has been traditionally published, I had the title. It was what came to me and it was fine. So these things like cover designs, like I adore the covers of the Earth Singer Chronicles. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. They are, but I had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> you know, like I had no, I didn't even give ideas. It was just like, here's the cover. I'm like, oh. Um, so wow. those kinds of things are frustrating when you're, and, and, I, and like I said, I, I have had very good luck, but you know, one day it's, there's going to be a cover that I don't love that's going to go out into the marketplace mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to be like, this is my book. And then we're like, like, hold it up. Like, I don't love this <laughs> cover, but I have to go and try to sell it anyway. Um, so those kinds of things are difficult. And it's just like, you have to step back and, you know, do what you have to do to manage your emotions about it. And to just, you know, what I do is understand that I have that this career is long. You know, my goal is to to have a, a long career and that any one thing um, is not going to, bring it down. You know, there's always another there's the next book. The advice mm-hmm. that you're given a lot is, you know, just write the next book. That's going to be it's a marketing strategy. It's also just a sanity strategy. Um, as you build up your backlist, you know, each book is important to you and I you know, I put my heart and soul into all of them, but if if something happens and it doesn't go well, I can, I'm going to write the next book.
2: Every time I hear stories about like
0: traditional publishing I just want to curl myself up in a ball and put my thumb in my mouth, <laughs> get one of my crochet blankets, just sit there yeah. because the lack of control mm-hmm. and, and just for me, I, I, I don't know. And yet I'm also ready to throw myself on the altar of traditional publishing
1: self publishing is no easy not easy either yeah. you know it's it is very difficult to get anyone to know about your books to care about them the visibility you know even with you know my my it's always a struggle with my my self published books and it's just different struggles you know it's like mm-hmm. okay what's the right book for the marketplace How, you have to spend money on this and that and finding the right people and schedules and then All the decisions are on your shoulders, which as a control freak is nice, but it's also like, I have to do everything. So yeah. Yeah. And so you have the best
0: of both worlds or the worst of both worlds (laughs) or however they thought they toss up whenever they toss up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like uh, one or the other man, I think I'd have to go one or the other because it's like, I can't deal with this and all of this with self-publishing and you want me to do, but you're a brilliant girl. so. And even pop, you know, you're you're even killed. I, I I think. I'm pretty even killed, yeah. 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 So yeah, I'm I'm a lusty wench. So <laughs> I bring all the fire. I bring the fire. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 working on it. Working on it. Um and this is the perfect segue into our second segment. Um, which It's the audacity of Black women writers. What is it that gave Leslie Penelope the audacity to know that she could enter the publishing industry and take up and make space for herself and thrive?
1: It's a journey. You know, I think that when I... People who know my family know me as that very introverted person are kind of always amazed if they come to a book event and see me speaking in front of people and teaching mm-hmm. workshops and all of that stuff. Because it's been a it's been a journey, a lot of intentionality. I think that always being an artist, you know, studying film, being an independent filmmaker for a while, the things that I wanted to do forced me to break out of my show. It's like I can't live my dreams if I don't push myself further than my comfort yeah. zone, you know, out of my comfort zone, further than my limits. And I did start self-published because I had heard all the stories about, you know, the horrors of the publishing industry. And I honestly didn't think that anyone would want, you know, this fantasy story with these brown people in it. Like, who's publishing that? Especially when I first published in 2015. It's not like it is now when there's lots of that. You know, there's, there mm-hmm. was very few. And even to this day, um, you know, I have this four book epic fantasy series there is only one other Black author who has an epic fantasy series of more than three books traditionally published, and that's Evan Winter with *Rage of uh, Rage of Dragons*. You know, we've—I've looked. Wait a minute, wait! I'm interrupting, and
0: not to be rude, mm-hmm. but the fact that you have sat here on my couch and said there is one other, one other, which makes two, and this epic done. fantasy.
1: Are you serious? Of more than four of more than three books. There's others, as a few others who have trilogies. But if okay. you take Yeah. And and Epic Fantasy series tend to be longer. You know, you've got people with 12, 15, 20 books in series that get published. Um we couldn't find any, you know. And I believe that it, you know, there's the idea that um I don't know, we'll get to it in the future, like there, there's not an audience for this is very prevalent and they haven't published much. And, but black people love fantasy. Like we, you know, you love fantasy. I love, I know lots of black people who love fantasy and they don't have enough for us and they don't let us, I am not going to say let us, but I mean, the publishing industry as it stands has, is going through changes, but it still <laughs> doesn't have all of the, you know, we haven't had a chance to do all of the other, do all the things and tell all the stories that we have to tell. So I think that audacity was, you know, I started self-publishing because I, I knew that and I had experience as independent, as an independent filmmaker and doing an independent literary magazine and other DIY type things that it just made sense for me to do it myself. And when I was approached by a Black woman editor at Macmillan, at St. Martin's Press to republish the series, and I, you know, I took it off the market and, and published it with them, it was a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. So I guess you can call it audacity, but it was always just like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to do, because this is what I want to do. And I believe I can, you know, I've, I've confidence in myself as a smart person and as a talented person and as a person who works really hard. And I'm going to just give everything my all and see what happens because there's so much I can't control. So the things Mm -hmm. I can control, I will do to the best of my ability and we'll see what happens.
0: That's audacity. That's that's what yeah that's audacity. I'm just going to see what happens because if nothing else, I know me. I trust me and my abilities and my talents. That's Mm -hmm. audacity. I'm still sitting over here like it's two in the year of our Lord Beyonce. They're two,
1: and mine is the only one completed because he's still working on his. But like he has the contract, so we'll give him give him that. But yeah, it's it's
0: I don't know how to say. I mean, what can you say, right. right? I mean, because it, this industry, man, I, when I started researching the publishing industry, not because I was thinking about going the traditional route, I just started researching because I realized I need to know the business, right? Mm-hmm. As, as an entrepreneur, I need to understand and, and understand the business mm-hmm. so that I can make my way. And the more research I did, the more I was like, why is this still a thing in publishing?
1: And why, why are they allowed to continue in this vein? But I mean, entertainment, TV, film, it's the same. I mean, it's all it's all similar, all dealing with similar problems and issues.
0: So yeah. fantasy writer, are we going to get something that that attacks this? <laughs> How how do you heal this? How do you make this better? Off the cuff, how do you
1: make this better? In the industry? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I've worked with in two publishing houses with two Black women editors. We need more of us at the table making the decisions, acquiring books. You know, that's starting to happen. More agents, editors, all the way up, publicists, salespeople, booksellers, I think that's how we change it. We get people at the table with decision-making powers who have a broader perspective and understand, yeah, there's plenty of people out there who want this. You know, we'll, We're seeing you know, successes here and, and there in different properties. Once we're given a chance, there is a market for this. And if you feed it and you promote it, then you can find the audience. You can say, I don't know how to sell this. I don't know what the audience is. Well, you found an audience for other things. You can find an audience because it exists.
0: Right. I mean, but I don't my thing is this. Black
1: folk are the biggest consumers. Mm-hmm. and black We're women read the most books buy We buy the most books. Yeah, we do.
0: And so why how they can fix it all and say there's not really a wide audience for anything a black woman's gonna put out there? Yeah, Lies you tell, so she sell. Penny's wasted in the wishing well. But that's okay. That's okay. um because again, there is this kind of innate audacity that I love seeing, and 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 black writer, uh, black women writers, mm-hmm. and that is my focus primarily. And I know there are other folk out there who doing the darn thing, and mm-hmm. black men are out there doing the darn thing, but I happen to be a black woman right. who writes, and there is my focus. And I happen to believe, or I know for myself, that it's going to be us that changes. Mm, yeah. You know, we'll do all the changing and um white women will take credit for. It. <laughs> They'll get the credit, but it'll be us. And I'm I don't care who gets the credit. Um so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. You're I'm, I'm hopping here because you also have the audacity to have the podcast imaginary friends. And I was like listening. And I'm like, you know, it's like I get a free little workshop from Miss Elf Penelope every episode. Like you're giving gems, right? Like little workshops. And I always ask my writers, what advice do you have for aspiring writers? And you're like the advice queen, you're already out there <laughs> like giving, you know, giving it back, paying it forward, however you want to look at it. You're already sharing so much. But what, I don't know, if, if an aspiring writer is listening mm-hmm. to this and they're a young Black girl and they're just like, I really think I have, I have it. I can do something with this writing thing. Mm-hmm. What are the three most important pieces of, of knowledge? I don't mm-hmm. want to say advice, of knowledge that you can share with them.
1: Three pieces. I think the best advice anyone ever gave me... I found was to do it first, prioritize the writing. There's so many people who want to write. I hear people, oh, I want to write a book. They hear that I'm a writer. I mean, if you really want to, you have to prioritize it. So I do it first thing in the morning. You know, when I was, I'm self-employed, I, have, I haven't had my own business for a long time. So I had more flexibility in my time, but I still, I had to get up earlier. I had to start getting up at six o'clock in the morning and writing in the mornings because if I was waiting till after work day and I was exhausted, I wasn't getting it done. And so that really changed and allowed me to finish things that I wanted to finish. And just as simple as do it first, really prioritize what you want to what you want to do. The second thing would be to get a community because writing is such a solo endeavor. You know, I started a mastermind group with other writers and we meet every week and we just talk about our business problems. Sometimes we talk about our craft or plot problems. And it's just this sisterhood essentially, of people that I can rely on and talk to. We meet online because we're in different locations physically. But having a community, a writing group, a critique group, you know some kind of organization that you go to is just you know, there's plenty of groups online. Um, start your own, go to workshops, meet people. like that's how kind of I found these people. and super helpful because you otherwise you feel alone. And you're mm-hmm. like, is it just me doing this? Is it just me going through this? And it doesn't have to be like we have to write alone unless you have a co-writer. But um, you don't have to be alone throughout the, right. the career stuff. Um, and I guess the third one, like I'm always still studying, you know, I'm always mm-hmm. still taking courses, reading books. I don't think that's going to stop because you just it's it's a craft, it's like a lifelong pursuit. And I'm really f- interested in getting better and you know, finding new techniques, but also not listening to everyone, you know, really being, there's so much advice out there. And mm-hmm. um, some of it's bad advice. It's good for other people, but it's not good for you. So learn, but like, be very careful about who you listen to, like try something. And if it's not resonating, feel free like to, to get rid of it, to not do it, even if some super successful author says, well, you have to do it this way. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. no one has to do anything anyway. Like do it the way that it works for you. Because right. sitting out here trying to, to follow someone else's process is just a recipe for failure.
0: Wow. Yeah. You're good. You're very good. Thank now, you. this is my 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 kind of petty side. Because I am that petty girl. I I'm, I'm not. I I realize the more and more. <laughs> I talk to people, I should probably keep my thoughts about myself to <laughs> myself. But uh, if you if you uh, had to pretend that I'm a big wig in the publishing industry and, and you wanted me to to take a message back to the publishing industry, other big wigs, what what do you want me to tell them?
2: Ooh. Um
1: I think that uh like mid listers. So, you know, people who are not the biggest bestsellers, you know, just regular authors selling books, but I think that midlisters should have more support. I mean, you could probably have more best-selling authors if the midlisters were supported more. And um that could, you know, promotion, marketing, all of that stuff. That kind of, you know, you, you kind of get left behind a lot of times if you're not on the New York Times bestsellers list. So publishers make most of their money from a very tiny percentage of their authors and their books. And that's a very strange way to run a business, but it's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. So maybe trying other business models to support, like if they're, the purpose is to get more books into the marketplace, And it feels like you have all of these authors you're publishing on these books every year, and some of them you just don't do anything for. Mm-hmm. Um, do a little bit more for everybody and maybe just like re i don't want to say redistribute the wealth a little bit but yeah redistribute some things because you could potentially make more profit sell more books by shining a spotlight on a wider swath of authors and books
0: that's really great advice i am not a bit wig but you know that is maybe really someone will listen they'll, they'll find this i hope so <laughs> we are ready for the game Okay, And I chose these words specifically for you, except for the last one. So title of the game, tell the whole story. And it's just a reminder about the rules. I give you a word. You tell me a personal anecdotal story that ends with either hashtag bookish, hashtag writing while Black. Or hashtag writers' life. Okay, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> Your first word is
2: scientific.
1: Ooh, scientific. Um, so I told the story about getting a B in chemistry. Physics. I love physics. I love. Quantum physics. I I like thinking about it, reading about it. I don't understand anything that I read. In high school, I actually got a D in physics. It was a curve. So D was actually the highest, high grade. Anyway, I love it. I, I, I in my world building, I actually do take scientific concepts. I read like science articles and extrapolate some kind of story thing from them that will make sense to no one. A scientist will read this and not see it, but it makes sense to me. Um. <laughs> Hashtag writing life. Oh my gosh. I love that. When you said physics,
0: I was all over it. Like AP physics got a five. I love physics. And yeah. when you said quantum physics. Yeah. I use so much quantum physics. Oh. Uh, and my, yes. And in the most obscure ways too. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's almost spiritual for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Your
1: next word is tantamount. Tantamount. Um, hmm, that's an interesting word. So I think that I always think about the first thing that comes to mind is tantamount to failure. Like you you think that not selling well enough, for example, you know, you you feel like a failure. Like I have, you know, with a longer series, the the later books are going to sell less than the first books. Of course, that's that's the way things go. Um one thing that has felt like a failure in my career is audiobook rights for Earthsinger Chronicles. They have not yet made an audiobook of Requiem of Silence because of the sales of the other audiobooks have been low. And I do get, I get requests for it regularly from people who have, people who have listened and it's out of my control. It's one of those things that I've tried to buy the rights back. I keep trying to, to I can make it myself to have it. But having them not do that um, is tantamount to failure for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. Hashtag writers life. Wow.
0: Okay. Sorry. I'm just, okay. Organic is your next one.
1: Organic. I, I view world building as very organic because I try to do it alongside plot and character development. And that's one of the things that I talk about. And like I teach in the class that I do. And when I talk to other writers, it's like, how can you make them all come together? Because too many fantasy people and sci-fi people will build a world for years and not have a story and not have a book at the end of these years. So it's organic, it comes from the characters. The world comes from the ideas and the the initial idea that I have for the story. And I just I build them as I go. And so they're woven together. And that has helped, I think, in any success that I've had with world building is making it as organic as possible.
0: Hashtag. You are killing it. it. Thank you. All right. Um, your next word is reality. Reality.
1: Yeah. I think that the word that comes to mind is verisimilitude, like truthiness, you know, we're trying to create either an invented worlds or my latest book takes place in our world, um, in Washington, DC. So I started writing books in our world. I always have, um, and you're trying to make them as realistic as possible. So it's close to reality while still being this fictional world that is immersive and transportive and takes you to a d- different place. And so all of these craft tech, the, the reason why I'm always studying craft is to find other little ways to make, you know, make reality alive on the page in a fictional way, in almost hyper-reality. You right. know, like you want to sink into something that is. Recognizable to your daily life, but also more interesting, I think that's what that's why yeah. we read fiction. so yeah.
0: hashtag writing while black oh, yeah And your last word isn't really a word, but it's what I ask everybody. So give me one yuck and one yum.
1: ooh, just in general. um a yuck. I mean coffee, i I don't understand <laughs> coffee. I. I my husband has lots of different he loves coffee and it just smells like death to me I don't know why people it. <laughs> yum I'm gonna go with my favorite food which is biscuits <laughs> Biscuit. my favorite food is always food. now I am actually have to be gluten-free now but I found this amazing gluten-free flour that I still make my biscuits and they just make me happy so what gluten-free flour are you using it's because I can't eat rice flour either um it's called jessica's it's 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 on amazon i think it's called jessica's flour because most gluten-free flour has rice flour and that's i can't do that but and this is you know one for one very similar makes great biscuits it's jessica's gluten i believe
0: so yeah i have to i'm gluten-free because and not because of celiacs
1: but like allergies you know i've developed Yeah, no, it just it makes me feel bad. Like when I I, I can't eat it and I'll just feel bad after and I'll, I'll be sluggish. Right. I'm trying to optimize, you know, my productivity and cutting out things that just make me feel bad. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Jessicas OK, because I've been looking for a good gluten free flour. My mom bakes the best cakes, but.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's tough once you go down that route.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'm also trying to cut out refined sugars. So yeah, yeah. what to do? right but to them okay. but i do love her cake yeah I she's not gonna like, be here always <laughs> look i i'm so i'm yeah justify and enable myself all right man it's been awesome yeah I'll it's be great with you. To you. <laughs> um i just want to please read your books on audio and just send them to me send them to me um I love your voice. I I love what you say. I love your podcast, and um, I love what you're doing, really. And I love that you're so smart. (laughs) I'm so serious. I I really enjoy talking with intelligent people who Mm -hmm. write intelligently or intelligent. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I enjoy that. That's what's fun about. So thank you for being so. So freaking brilliant that you blew my mind today. Thank you. Um, What kind of counselor would I be? Kind of therapist would I be if I didn't give you homework? (laughs) Okay. Not a good one, right? Right. So your homework uh, is to tell me who needs to be the next person on my proverbial couch.
1: I think that you should have Cerise Rennie Murphy on your couch Because she is one of my closest friends. She's an amazing fantasy and science fiction author. She is an entrepreneur. She just got an award from SIFWA for her community building. She started a virtual conference. And she's one of the most empathetic humans that I've ever met. So I think she would be a a wonderful guest.
0: What a glowing endorsement. (laughs) Everybody step your game up when when you're doing your homework. I want endorsements like that.
1: (laughs) Very good. Now, how do you say her name? Cerise Rennie Murphy. Cerise, yes. Okay,
0: pretty. Cerise Rennie Murphy, your friend. Leslie Penelope just called you out, so be expecting an email from me. Can you tell the listeners um, how to best get in touch with you and what's next for
1: you? So, my author website is lpenelope.com. And you can get to my podcast and courses at myimaginaryfriends.net. And I have the third book in my paranormal romance series, Brutal Fortress, will be coming out next sometime soon. I don't know when. I haven't finished writing it yet. <laughs> and also, um, I have the, a work in progress on, which is a, a, from Orbit, coming out from my traditional publisher next year, probably, which is the one that, without a title currently. But it's about all Black towns in the South and an all Black town being threatened by the construction of a dam. And so they have to find a magical way to save this thriving all-Black town. So stay tuned for that. Well,
0: will it be like historical science? It is historical and- fantasy.
1: Yes. Is that a thing or are you making up a genre? No, I The Monsters We Defy, which was my last book, which took place in 1925 in Washington, D.C., was also historical fantasy.
0: Oh my God, I did not know that was a thing.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean- i didn't make it up but it's it's a thing that's kind of growing i think that there's more i think if you think about well real world our world fantasy in our historical time periods is i can think of a couple of other books but yes it's growing i'm in it i'll be in the space for a while so i love that i'm so excited because i love historical fiction oh yeah and i love fantasy and what
0: did you do you blended yes yes Okay, so look, I think I already know where I'm going to start with you, uh, <laughs> with your catalog, which
1: read the monsters because is- it's a standalone, you don't have to start this long, you know, infinite series, you can read a nice standalone and be about your business. <laughs> thank you, because that's, you,
0: you hit it. Well, right there, <laughs> nail on the head. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. And um, I hope we stay in touch.
2: Yeah, Continue thank you.
0: Success. And, it. you know, if you ever need anything from the therapist who's not licensed, I'm your <laughs> girl. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alice. It's, it's been really great. Thank you for joining me for this session of Black Writer Therapy. Be sure to follow and leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And keep the conversations going on Instagram using our hashtag BlackWriterTherapy. I'm your host and unlicensed therapist, Ella reminding you to be kindest to yourself first, always, and in all ways. See you guys next week. Bye.